Welcome to the Vineyard Altoona podcast. If you have any questions or just want more information, you can visit our website at vineyardaltuna.org or any of our social media platforms at Vineyard Altoona. And now, here's Derek with the message. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to jump right in. Um, I, uh, I began this two-part series last week, um, not series, the two-part message of this five-week series uh, last week. And so if you missed last week, the, the podcast has the message, this will tie very closely with what we talked about last week. So, you, you know, if you missed it, you can find it on our website, you can find it on the podcast, um, and that way you'll sort of know. But I'm going to try to catch us up a little bit. I want to start out just by telling you, you know, when I was growing up as a kid in church, and, and many of you know I grew up in a Lutheran church, and as I grew up as a kid in church, I grew very, very suspicious of people who had experiential Christianity. I don't know if you guys had the same experience. People who, who talked about their Christianity as if it was supposed to make you do things just really made me a little bit suspicious. It made me really, really uncomfortable that people who would talk about like they danced in church, and I'm like, that's stupid. <laughs> that was, I, I had a flight student who uh, I found out at one point was a, uh, he told me he was a Pentecostal, and I was terrified. I didn't know what that meant. It scared me to death um, because he was like, oh, yeah, we do all the things. And I was like, well, what do you mean all the things? Said, well, we speak in tongues. We, you know, you know, worship with our hands up, and sometimes people get really excited, and they kind of run around. I'm like, I don't know about that. That seems weird. Um, and, and it was sort of a terrifying thought to me that Christianity would be experiential. And so everybody that described their, their Christianity as experiential, I grew very, very suspicious of because it seemed to me that the experiential side of Christianity had no purpose. I was like, what's the point? I don't understand. It doesn't make any sense. You know, what's the, what's the point of experiential Christianity? But then, as many of you know, when I was 22, I had an encounter with Jesus. And all of a sudden, I became an experiential Christian. And I was one of the people that I was suspicious of before. That's an internal struggle, isn't it? But, but this idea of like, oh, I encountered Jesus for real. And what I realized is like, I really liked the experience that I had of Jesus. I really liked that experience. And, you know, uh, I knew in my head that my relationship with God was real. I knew in my head that Jesus was real, but it was the experience that made it tangible, right? Like if you've ever had a pen pal, you write to a pen pal for a long time, if you ever actually meet that person, you're like, oh, you are a real person. It was kind of like that. Jesus, my pen pal. Not exactly, right? But it's sort of like that. Like it became real for me, and I really liked it. I really liked it. And so I would ask Jesus to come and meet me regularly and have experience on experience on experience. And I loved it. I loved everything about it. I still didn't know what the purpose was, but I loved it. And it made, it made a difference for me. And God was gracious. You know, God was really, really gracious. And so I continued to pursue these experiences. But what I realized is that as I had experiences with Jesus, something started to happen. Like, I started to talk about the experiences that I had with Jesus. And people would sort of look at me, 
the way I used to look at the people who had experiential Christianity before. Like, what are you talking about, experiences with Jesus? No, I actually met him. You, you actually met, no, yeah, legitimately, I met Jesus. It was weird. But for me, like, all of a sudden, I had to talk about these experiences that I was having. Like, I would feel like, and, and, and I thought that maybe I should keep these hidden, because when I grew up, the experiential Christians were the weird ones, right? So I thought maybe I should keep it hidden, but I would, I would go to places and be like, I was in my room, I was worshiping, and then I just felt like this sort of like warm, gooey feeling. And people look, I mean, try it. When you go to lunch after this, you know, or when you go to your, your cookout, just try it. Say, I just had this warm, gooey feeling with Jesus, and everybody will look at you a little bit weird, right? But I started to talk about the experiences that I had with Jesus, and I really couldn't help but talk about the experiences I had with Jesus. And so, but what I wondered is, what is the larger purpose of experience? Is there a purpose? Or is it just to make you happy and make you feel good? And do you know that there is a larger purpose? That the experiences that you have with God actually do have a larger purpose. We talked about last week that experiential Christianity is actually essential if you want to do it for the long haul. That there have to be actual experiences with Jesus, that we don't just eat the menu, if you remember that illustration, but that we actually, the menu does point us to an encounter with Jesus. And so there's a purpose that God has for those, and I want to talk about that today. We began this series last week as a two-part series, and, and or, I keep saying that, talking is hard, you should try it. Um, but we started this series called Come and See, that we're going over the next five weeks And the point of this series is that if we actually want to be people who see those in the the world around us come to faith in Jesus, if we actually want to invite them to faith in Jesus, we have to believe that it's good news for us first. That we actually have to be people who experience Jesus as good news before we give him away to people as good news. And so the whole premise of this series is that we would discover for ourselves that Jesus is really, really good, and that we would hopefully not be able to help but to tell people about how good Jesus is. And so that's the the point of this series, and what I want to show you today is that the, what the purpose of the encounters that you have with Jesus ultimately are. Like, there is a purpose, or to say it differently, what, what did, should this actually do in your life? Like, what result should experience with Jesus bring in your life? And so what I want you to see today is that your encounters with Jesus are not just for you. Your encounters with Jesus are not just for you. Last week I called the message, Encountering Jesus Transform You, dot, dot, dot. You remember that? I want to finish the dot, dot, dot. Encountering Jesus transforms you, dot, 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 to transform the spaces around you. So let's pray, and then we're going to look at Scripture. Lord, I do just thank you for your presence and the way that you are already moving in this space. God, that when we call out to you, we're not crying out on deaf ears, but that you do come. And so, Holy Spirit, I just invite you to come even more. God, would you give us grace? Would you let us lay down the things that we brought in? There's all kinds of things, any number of things that are spinning in our heads that would keep us from hearing from you. And Lord, would you enable us to put those down? Give us grace, Lord. Would you put power on this message and enable me to speak the words that you have given me to say? 
We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to look at John chapter 4. We're going to pick up a story we started last week. And in case you weren't here or you forgot the first part of the story, Jesus and his disciples are leaving the south part of Israel, headed to the north part of Israel, and right in the middle is, is Samaria. And so you have to go through Samaria to get to the north. And so about halfway through the day, noon, the heat of the day, they stop by Jacob's well. And as they're sitting by Jacob's well, Jesus sends his disciples into this town called Sychar. And in this town, they're going to get food. And so Jesus hangs out at the well. That's my kind of, my kind of guy. I'm going to hang out. You guys go get me some food. Bring it back. And so as he's sitting there, this woman shows up in the middle of the day, and she's come to draw water. And they have this interesting exchange. And he basically says, I have water to give you. I have living water to give you. And of course, she's not really sure what he's talking about. And eventually... He demonstrates, well, I have this prophetic gifting, and she's sort of like, hmm, we've been waiting for a prophet restorer. You might be it. And so at this point, uh, Jesus says, well, I'm the Messiah. She, she finds out that he's the Messiah. Meanwhile, all of the, uh, the Pharisees who have been just sort of, you know, a few chapters later, they're like, just tell us if you're the Messiah. And he told her. And we talked about why it's significant um, that this Samaritan woman is the first one that he reveals himself in that way too. And so Jesus is still hanging out at the well. This conversation ends, and we get to the end of verse 26 in John 4, and we're going to pick it up in verse 27. So John 4, verse 27, that's your recap. Uh, you can read the, the stuff leading up to it. Beginning of verse 27, here's what we read. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman, but no one asked, what do you want, or why are you talking to her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, back at the camp, his disciples urged, them, or urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months till the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields, they're ripe for harvest. Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work. And you have reaped the benefits of the, their labor. I want to stop right there for just a minute. This little section feels out of place, doesn't it? Like this whole story has been about Jesus and this woman, and then all of a sudden Jesus is teaching his disciples about sowing and reaping. And it feels a little out of place. Like the woman ran off, she shared her story. If you skip ahead, she's going to come back. And so it feels a little bit out of place, but I want you to see something because it's critical for what's about to happen in the remaining verses of this story. Jesus effectively says that you know, he does this little, this little thing that he did with, with the woman, right? He, she's like, he asks her for water. She says, you know, you don't, you know you don't, you're not supposed to ask me for water. And he says, well, if you'd ask me, I'd give you living water, right? And it's sort of this metaphor, this weird exchange. He does the same things to the disciples here. You know, if you can imagine as they get back, this woman runs off and, and, and she's headed back to town. And just for reference, this town is probably about a 10-minute walk from the well. So he probably watches her run off and, 
you know, they're sitting there divvying up the food, and we're going we're gonna to eat now, and, uh, and, and they're sort of chowing down, and they look over at Jesus, and they're like, Rabbi, eat something. Meanwhile, he's still staring at the town, just watching. And they're like, aren't you going to eat? We brought you all this food. And he says, I have food you don't know about. And of course, they're like, where did it come from? You know, just stop at sheets? Like, where did the food come from? What do you mean you have food? And they're sort of like, well, maybe that woman brought him food. Maybe that woman brought him food. And they're sort of wondering. And you can imagine Jesus going, no, 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 no. You guys are missing the point. My food is to do the will of the Father and to finish the work. And you can imagine him just still looking out over the plain. It's a very flat section uh, of ground. And you can imagine him looking at this town, and as he's, he's looking, he starts to see this large crowd of people that this woman is bringing back across, 10-minute walk back across. And so he goes off on this teaching moment. He says, you guys know that whenever the harvest is ready, you ripe, uh, whenever it's ripe, you reap the harvest, and you guys say it's four months until it's going to be ripe. And then you can just sort of imagine this grand reveal as he turns and he says, look to the fields, they're ripe for harvest. And he uses this metaphor to say, this is the job that we've been entrusted with. Whatever else you think this thing that we're doing is, whatever else you think we're doing uh, with this whole Messiah and kingdom enterprise, this is what we're doing. Look across the fields, these people who would be the rejects and the outsiders of society. These are the people who are hungry, and the harvest is ripe. And what he says is, this is the essence of what my Father has sent me to do. And then he says, your job as disciples is to reap this harvest. Your job is to reap this harvest. It's important to understand that. Because whatever else the disciples think is happening, the main purpose is to welcome people into kingdom fellowship. I mean, they have all kinds of ideas. If you read through the Gospels, you see the disciples are often fairly confused as to what it is they think Jesus is up to. And he takes this moment to say, let's not be confused. If you follow me, the purpose is to reap the harvest. Truth is, we have all kinds of ideas as Christians, don't we? of what the purpose of our faith is. We have all kinds of ideas about what the purpose of this gathering is, right? And every one of us comes, I mean, however many people are here, there's probably plus one ideas about what the purpose of this gathering is. We have all kinds of ideas about how we're supposed to do Christianity and what it's for. Is it a creative outlet for me to get to play bass once every six months? You guys were like, yeah, please, less than six months would be fine. Is it, a, is it a space to make us more moral? Are we supposed to get our act together? Doesn't Christianity help us get our act together? Isn't it about saving us from our sin and we're not going to go to hell now because we know Jesus? Isn't that the purpose? We have all kinds of... Is it to give me a community? Is it to have limitless potlucks? That's what you wanted in your life was like potluck on potluck on potluck, right? Just make it rain potluck. Like five of you got that reference. All right. Anyway, what's the purpose? We can always get sidetracked of what the purpose is for our faith and for the church, but at the center, what Jesus says is it's welcoming those who are far from Jesus into the kingdom. 
This is the thing that gets lost in all kinds of church, right? All of our churches, we tend to get lost. And if the guy or lady in charge of the church, whoever the senior pastor is, doesn't bang the drum of evangelism on a regular basis, it's one of the first things to go. That we sort of like, we like everything else. It's that evangelism piece that we really don't much care for. And we'd be happy if you just let it go. But Jesus says this is at the center. That our main concern is welcoming people who are far from Jesus. That's the purpose. If you are a follower of Jesus, your main concern is to welcome people who are far from Jesus. To extend the welcome of the kingdom. And Jesus interrupts the, meta, the, the meal with this metaphor to teach this point. He says, whatever else you guys think we're up to, it's those people. It's the people who don't fit, who are not welcome. I want you to welcome them in. And if you look back to verses 1 and 2 of chapter 4, you don't have to turn it if you don't want to, what we see is that these guys have been baptizing disciples over and over and over. That's the role of disciples, is to welcome people into the kingdom and to baptize them as disciples. That's the main function. Everything else comes. Everything else has its place. But the main purpose is to welcome people who are far from Jesus. Now, we don't do this out of fear, right? How many of you like, well, evangelism is one of those things that they threaten me into. Tell me they're going to kick me out of the church if I don't bring people to church. So I guess I have to do that. Or we don't do it out of guilt, right? We don't, there's, there's no value in trying to win people to church so that they can be as guilty as you feel, right? We don't do it out of guilt. We don't do it out of fear. We don't do it out of shame. Like, well, I really think I'm, I'm a worthless Christian because I don't really lead people to Jesus. No, we do it out of obedience, that we are obedient to our master Jesus. And the way that that works is that we actually have good news to share. That's why it's, if it's fear or shame or guilt-based, it's because you don't understand that Jesus is good news, that we actually have an experience worth having. That's the, that's the motivation, that we've had an experience with Jesus that has changed our life. And you'll always have to fight to keep this a high priority. There's always going to be something else that comes up. I will guarantee you that you will never hear this, except for maybe Jeff. Jeff maybe will hear this. But there will never be a time where your boss at work says, hey, here's some paid time off so that you can go win the loss to Christ. I might give you some time, Jeff. That's never going to happen, right? Your, your boss is never going to say, hey, you're working too much. You can't be with people who are far from Jesus. So I'm going to pay you to spend time with people who are far from Jesus. It's never going to happen. You'll never hear that. There's always something else to do, right? Like my house is falling apart. There's a lot of things to do, right? You can always find something that feels more urgent than spending time with people who don't know Jesus. There's always something else to do. And so you have to fight to keep this a priority. You have to create a discipline out of it. It needs to become a reflexive habit. So you can think about it the way that you think about giving, right? There's another topic. Everybody like All the seat cushions just sort of... He talked about giving. Think about how giving works. Like, God invites us to be generous people like he's generous, right? Like, isn't that biblical? You can read through the Bible, you discover that God is generous and that his people ought to be generous. And so we, we 
create a discipline out of giving so that we might become generous people, right? And so if you sort of set down with your budget and you start and you say, I'm going to take the first 10% and I'm going to give it, right? Over time, what will happen is you will become a more generous and open-handed person. Now, you can give that 10% anywhere you want to give it, right? You could give it to, you know, the, the guy on the street. You could give it to any number of organizations. You could give it to lots of nonprofits. Part of the reason that you would bring it to the church is that it would be used for the sake of the mission that we're all on together. That's part of the reason you give to the church, right? That you, the giving that you're going to do, the training into to righteousness that you're going to do, that you become generous people, you actually do it on purpose, and that's, that's a discipline that you've created. So if you think about it that way, if you think about spending time with people who are far from Jesus, you know the mission of God is to reach people who are far from Jesus, and you know that your heart is typically not inclined toward that, but you want to be. What you can do is create a discipline out of it, that you would say, okay, every day I'm going to intentionally engage in a conversation that's more than surface level, with somebody who's far from Jesus. Some of you go, well, that feels awful legalistic. Have you ever, like, have you ever done anything well that it didn't take some sort of intentionality when you started? So you spend time intentionally once a day. I'm going to have a conversation with somebody who's far from Jesus. And you know what will happen? Over time, as you'll discover these people have real stories that really matter, you'll discover that Jesus is already active in their lives even though they don't know it. You'll discover that even though they're far from Jesus, they struggle with a lot of the same things you struggle with, and that they feel sort of hopeless about those things, and they're not really sure what to do with it. And what will happen is God will grow in you a heart for people who are far from Jesus. My heart's forever ruined for people who are far from Jesus. Like, that's, that's who I care deeply, deeply about is because I have so many conversations with people who are far from Jesus and they tell me about their problems, and I'm like, oh, the answer to that is, oh, you don't have the answer to that. Let me introduce you to Jesus. He'll bring you peace whenever you wrestle with fear. He'll bring you peace when you wrestle with anxiety. He'll, he'll bring you joy when you feel despair. You're not really sure how to deal with the fact that your kid just went to college. Oh, let me introduce you to Jesus. He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. This is the idea here, right? And so Jesus calls these disciples and says, whatever else you think we're doing, this is foundational. And the reason we need to understand this is because of what's about to happen. Verse 39. says, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words... Many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man is really the Savior of the world. I want you to see two things from this passage. That's all we're going to talk about the rest of the time. Two things. The first thing is, your encounters with Jesus are intended to be shared. Your encounters with Jesus are intended to be shared. Look at verse 28 again. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward them. You know, as soon as her encounter with Jesus ends, like last week's message, right? As soon as the encounter ends, she runs off immediately to go tell people. She leaves the water jar. Jesus asked her for water and she just leave the jar. 
came to get his water. She runs off to go tell people. And she runs off to tell people, and this is something that maybe you would miss. She runs off into town with all these people who know about her checkered past, who are maybe fairly inclined not to trust what she's about to say. And she says, could this be the Messiah? If you've been in church a long time, and you've sort of seen this bend in the church against women sharing the gospel with people, this woman with a checkered past leads a whole town to Christ. Means that there's, there, there's a place for women to speak and to preach and to share the gospel with people. Your job is not just kids' ministry. Though it's important. <laughs> but there's a place for women to, to preach and to, to share the gospel and to lead people to Christ. And the other thing that you notice about it is there's an urgency about it. She doesn't like go, well, whenever I get around to it, I'll share this experience that I just had. She left the jar. She doesn't even help Jesus get the water first. Most of us wrestle with this idea of evangelism because we're afraid that we won't know what to say, right? Or we're afraid we won't know answers to people's questions. They're going to ask me hard stuff, and I don't know the Bible that well, and I'm really afraid to share faith because I'm going to get myself, I'm going to dig a a hole that's too deep, right? We're a little bit afraid about uh, evangelism for that reason, but what if I could offer you a different perspective? Like, what if there was a different perspective on evangelism? What if it wasn't so much about trying to get someone converted or trying to argue or, or fight your way into somebody having to submit to faith? What if that's not the goal at all? What if it wasn't trying to convince someone to believe what you believe? What if instead evangelism was actually just about sharing the experiences that you've had of Jesus? What if it was actually about Jesus just shining the light of heaven on your life and transforming you like he did with her last week? And you just went and said, let me tell you about what happened. Let me tell you about what happened. It's good news. You can believe it or not, but it's good news. What if that's all there was to evangelism? What if it was really just about you having experiences over and over and over again with Jesus and then sharing those recklessly with everyone around? I can tell you this much. If you go to try to fight somebody down who doesn't know Jesus and say you have to convert and you have to believe and all this and that, their defenses go up. But as soon as you share the story, of your encounter with Jesus, people go, huh, maybe that could happen for me. What if that's what evangelism was? What if it was just sharing the stories of experience that you had with Jesus? Because that's what I think this story shows. God the Father is the one in charge of this mission, right? That's what Jesus says, right? He says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me, the Father, and to finish it. So it's God's job to reach people. It's Jesus' job to reach people. And it's our job just to tell about what we've experienced. What if that's all there really was to it? See, because what's true in that story, I think is still true. I think God is still the one in charge of seeing people who are far from Jesus come to faith. I think Jesus is still 
breaking in and rescuing people who don't know him. And I think the invitation to us still is to welcome them when they come along and to share the stories of the goodness of God we've experienced. What this means is that your encounters with Jesus are not just for you. You see, Jesus encounters you so that he can get access to those around you. Do you know that? When you're the first person in your family to come to faith, to have an actual encounter with Jesus, it's not just that you're the lucky one. Do you know that? Like, wow, Jesus healed me. This is unbelievable. Man, aren't I lucky. And keep it to yourself. Jesus saves you so that he can get into your family. Do you know that? Jesus heals you so that he can heal your workplace. Jesus delivers you so he can deliver your neighborhood. Do you know that? Your experience of Jesus is not just for you, it's for everyone that you meet. And God has already gone ahead of you to prepare people to hear the story of the encounter that you've had. Maybe you're somebody that's been struggling with fear and anxiety, and in a moment, Jesus delivers you from fear and anxiety. And it's great that he did that for you. But do you know he didn't just do that for you? He did that so that your coworker, who's wrestling with fear and anxiety, can hear the story about how Jesus brings peace. That's the point. Jesus heals you of cancer. I've heard stories recently of people getting completely healed of cancer. And it's amazing that their life has been prolonged, that Jesus has rescued them from cancer, and yet the purpose was not just that this person gets healed from cancer, it's that that story gets shared with all the people who feel hopeless, who feel like this is a death sentence, I don't have a a hope in the world, and you come along and you say, but I know someone who was healed, and that someone is me. Let me tell you the story about how Jesus healed me of cancer. And what happens is people begin to hope. People begin to have hope that maybe Jesus could do the same thing for them. That's the purpose of the encounters that you have. The encounters that you have are legitimately personal, but they go so much further than just personal. The encounters are actually on purpose to reach those people around you. Jesus saves you so that he can save those around you. There's people in every sphere of your life right now. I mean, wherever you work, whatever classes you have, whatever dorm you live in, whatever neighborhood you live in, there are people all around you right now that God is already preparing to hear the story of the encounter you had with Jesus. Do you know that? There's people all around who are hoping maybe, but I don't really have hope for this marriage that's falling apart. And yet you can share a story about how your marriage was rescued. There's people all around you who are waiting to hear that maybe there's a God who loves them. God is doing that for you if you will have the courage to open your mouth and share what he's done in your life. Do you know that? You know, there's people, there's coworkers who are barely making ends meet who need to hear a story about how Jesus provided for you. There's classmates that you have that cover up their deep sadness and despair with jokes. And you're like, they're the funny one. 
and they actually feel really hopeless. Do you know that? There's, there's family members that you have who keep everyone at arm's length because they've been so deeply wounded. You have family members who need to know that Jesus will reach under their defenses and love them anyway. I mean, some of you are going to hang out with these people like today and tomorrow. You're going to have a barbecue, and as long as nobody blows up at someone else, call it a success, right? And some of these people deeply need to hear the experience that you've had with Jesus. And this never stops being important. You know, some of you are leaders or, or have aspiration to be leaders, and this idea that you would share your experience of Jesus only gets more important as a leader. You know, it, it, the temptation that we have as leaders is that now that I'm a leader, I just need more information, right? I just need to hone my craft. I just need to get good at leadership. I'm going to soak up all the leadership books I can and my, all the podcasts. And don't get me wrong, information's good. But the most important thing that you need to have is ongoing deep connection with Jesus. If you want to be a leader that has impact, if you want to be a leader that can do it for the long haul, you don't need more books, you don't need more podcasts, what you need is more encounter with Jesus. Some of you will know the name Ruth Haley Barton. She writes books and has uh, created this organization called the Transforming Center up in northern uh, Illinois. And she says, the, mo the best thing that a leader has to offer is their own transforming self. And what she's saying is, the best leaders are people who are in an ongoing transformative process with Jesus. If you actually want to be a good leader, it's more about your encounter with Jesus than it is all the information you can soak up. Do you know that? So that was the first thing. The second thing I want you to know out of this is your story of encounter with Jesus makes it possible for others to have their own encounter with Jesus. Look at verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. You know, the woman's story of encounter stirred enough belief in people that they were willing to check it out for themselves. They didn't base all of their faith, their entire life of faith, they didn't base it in this woman's story, but there was enough belief stirred in these people that they're like, I at least have to check this out. Do you know that's what your story does for people? When you share your story of encounter where Jesus rescued you or Jesus saved you or Jesus delivered you, when you share that story with people, they look at their own lives and they go, I wonder if Jesus could do that for me, right? Do you know that's how story works? Like all the people that you really like to hear talk, I mean, other than me, of course, all the people that you really like to hear talk are, are, are good storytellers. And the reason is because when you tell a story, what happens in someone's brain is they put themselves in the story. And so when you tell a story, you basically walk people through something, and they've put themselves in their own mind in that story. That's why story works. So any movie that you ever watch, you follow the plot line, right? Like, and you don't consciously put yourself in there, but you're sort of like, I would do this. 
Or I would do that, right? Like you sort of navigate the story. Your story about hope gives someone else hope. Your story about salvation and rescue gives someone else the possibility that they could be saved and rescued. As soon as you talk about how your marriage was rescued or how you made it through this difficult parenting season because Jesus helped you, as soon as you talk about that, they go, well, I'm having a hard parenting season. I wonder if Jesus could help me. And that's what happens. And so the, this, this story that, that she shares gives people just enough faith to check it out. And here's how this happens. When you share your story of encounter with Jesus, somebody else says, I wonder if that could happen for me. And they have just enough faith now to check it out. And what happens a lot of times is we say, well, have a nice day. But what if we took another step? What if the step was, come and see what I've experienced? What if the, the story you share that provides hope for someone else is followed by, come and see, I want you to experience this too. Because the fact of the matter is, my story is a really great start for you to have hope, to check it out. But my story is a really bad thing to build a lifetime of faith on. Do you know that? Like, I grew up in a faith where it was mostly my parents' faith. And for 18 years, I did the, the faith thing. But someone else's faith makes a really bad lifetime foundation. Do you recognize that? The only way people actually can have a lifetime of faith is that they have their own encounter with Jesus. And so as we share our faith in Jesus and our experience with Jesus, we invite people to have their own encounter. We invite people to have their own experience of, of Jesus. And there's lots of ways that you can do this, but let me just mention two. The first way that you can help people experience their own, have their own experience of Jesus is you can do like that woman did and say, I know where Jesus is, and I don't know how to do the things that he does, but if I get you close to him, he'll do what he does, right? And so you find these places like this gathering here or your alpha group, and you say, I've shared my story with you. You seem interested in this story. Why don't you come with me and see if God doesn't meet you in the space of Alpha? Why don't you come with me and see if God doesn't meet you on a Sunday morning? You know, when I'm thinking about this space on Sunday morning, I'm always thinking about the one that we're bringing who's sort of wading their way in. Do you know that? Like, I'm always thinking about what does this look like through the eyes and ears of someone who has little to no faith in Jesus. What does this feel like? Does it feel like they can be a part of this? Does it feel like they can take the steps that they need to take? And my hope is that when you encounter people who are far from Jesus, you would say, I feel like I could bring them to this space and they could meet Jesus and not be too weirded out, right? It's a little bit weird what we do here. You know, we start with Christian karaoke. You look at a big screen and sing, right? It's weird to people who don't know Jesus. But my hope is that it's not so weird that they couldn't wade their way in, right? So the first way that you can help people have their own encounter is to just invite them to the places Jesus already is. The other way I want to mention that you can help someone have their own encounter is that you would pray for them right then and there. Because you know what I know? 
And I, it's, it's astounded me, and, and there have been times when uh, I find myself reminded again, surprised again, is that when you have given your life to Jesus, the Spirit of God resides in you. That God gives you the Holy Spirit. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And so when you find someone who's like trying to explore this idea of maybe could Jesus do this for me, what I have found to be amazing is that if you go to pray for them and you just invite the Holy Spirit to come and touch them, do you know that he does that? We used to have this, this uh, when we first started this church, we had this small group, and, uh, and there was a, a girl in the small group, and some of you will know who she is, um, but I'm not going to say her name, um, just because she's not here. Um, and she would come in just like chaos and just so overwhelmed and so run over and and, you know, and, you know, we get to the end of it, and we're going to pray, and you know, come Holy Spirit, and you sort of like it becomes, it feels a little bit rote, and every time it would just mess her life up in a good way. She'd be like, I just love this. Like, every time you pray that prayer, like the chaos in my life settles. That happens for people. Do you know that you have that? You can carry, I would say to her, I would be like, you know, you can pray that prayer yourself. You can be in a chaotic situation in your life and pray that prayer yourself and he will come. She's like, well, no, it matters more when you do it. I'm like, well, that's not actually true. Thanks, makes me feel better, but it's not actually true. Do you know you can do that? That when you encounter somebody who's maybe got just a seed of faith, just a little bit of hope, they're like, could Jesus do this in my life? I'm not really sure if he could do, could he do that in my life? And you say, well, can I pray for you? And just invite God to come and meet you in a very personal way. And you pray for them. Do you know when you invite the Spirit of God to come on their life that he will? That he will show up? That he's not far off, you don't have to trick him into it or sort of like, you know, make this person seem really... God, if, if there was any, anybody who needed your touch so much, it's this person. You don't have to like bend his arm, twist his arm to get... Do you know he wants to come? He's already active in the situation. And all you're doing is say, Jesus, would you give this person the experience of you that they need? That faith would not be based on what I said, but would actually be based on the encounter with you. Do you know that that happens? You should try it. Because here's the deal. If you understand how this works, and the mechanics of this, your encounter gets shared with someone else. Someone else has a little bit of hope that maybe Jesus can do this in my life. And so you say, well, can I pray for you that he would break in and heal that situation in your life or that he would break in and give you a knowledge that he's real? Can I pray for you? And they say, yeah, sure. And you pray. And they have an encounter with Jesus in that moment. And then they say, well, I got to go tell somebody else about this. That's a cool party trick you just did. It's not party trick. It's Jesus actually met you. Okay, I'll go tell people about that. So then they go and they tell someone about Jesus. Do you see how over a period of time this can change your workplace? Do you see how if you would share your story with your coworker and they meet Jesus, now two of you are sharing your story with another coworker, and in a short order, your workplace gets transformed. 
And then your workplace gets transformed and all of you go somewhere else and all of you go to the family gatherings that you have and you say, let me tell you about what Jesus did in my workplace. He just saved this lady. Can I t-? This is what happened. She, was, she had cancer. We prayed for her. She was healed. And the person in your family is like, wonder if he would do that in my life. Well, can I pray for you? And let's do this, right? And over a period of time, you can see a family transformed. And all of these people have their experience of Jesus, and so we send some to college, right? And they share, hey, let me tell you about what's happening in my family. And what's happening is because of the, this thing that was happening in their workplace. Can I pray for you? And now they have an encounter with Jesus, and over a period of time, do you see how campuses get changed? And then the kids come, and they come to this space, and we, they're like, let me tell you what's happening in my family. And then they share their faith with somebody in their school. And they're like, I had this encounter in my family. My father was absent. He has come back. And I actually have a whole family now. And somebody in their school says, do you think he would do that in my life? I think he would. Can I pray for you in this moment? And that's how a junior high gets transformed. One after another after another. Do you know this woman leads this whole town to Christ? And that's how it works. That's why we say over and over and over, we want to be people who transform the spaces we inhabit by the power of the gospel. This is what I mean. This is the intent. Do you know we could see a whole city transformed? Do you know we could see a whole region transformed? If enough of us got a hold of this idea that Jesus wants to transform everything. Do you know that's possible? Do you have faith for that? Because I think that's where we're going. I'm excited to tell you guys about this in October, but that's where we're going. That I believe God wants to transform not just this church, not just the schools in this city, not just this city, but I think God wants to break in in the whole region and the whole state as a result of people who faithfully pursue Jesus and share their encounters everywhere. Do you have faith for that? Does that stir anybody? (laughs) Thanks, Ray. Abington will get transformed. That's where we're going. Thank you again for choosing the Vineyard Altoona podcast. We're so excited to see how God will release his kingdom in and through you today for the glory of Jesus Christ. With this, be blessed, and we'll see you next time.